Hi, I'm Susan Raff, and welcome to Real Talk. Today, we're going to talk about marijuana, which is now legal in Connecticut. Obviously, for a few years now, we've had medicinal marijuana, but now recreational pot is legal in Connecticut, and plans are underway to uh, not only have growing facilities, but also retail. And Connecticut is a little bit unique because it is uh, commercial, but it's also uh, giving those in certain neighborhoods uh, the chance to get in on the program, not only to create jobs, but also uh, improve economics in some communities. So with that, we want to join or we want to welcome Adam Wood, who is with the Connecticut Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for joining us, Adam. Yeah, thanks, Susan, so much for this opportunity. And uh, yeah, it really is an exciting time for the state of Connecticut. Um, This new industry is just getting underway. And um, the way that the legislature and the governor constructed um, the program here in Connecticut is to provide a lot of opportunity at the outset for social equity applicants with the goal of really uh, positively impacting some of the communities that were negatively impacted by the war on drugs. And so um, the state set out and identified a number of those areas across the state, um, including some of the state's largest cities, such as Bridgeport, Hartford, and New Haven, um, and uh, uh, basically set forth a policy to provide additional opportunities and for folks in those regions and for, for those cities. One of the things that on its face, you know, Connecticut Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, I'm a little bit older than you, and I I could never have imagined 20 or 30 years ago that we would have a Chamber of Commerce in Connecticut based solely on marijuana. I mean, you have to admit, I mean, times have really changed. They have, yeah. And I mean, this um, chamber was really born out of um, my experience. I was working with a, a, a number of other activists Um, on the decriminalization issue um, for marijuana and um, on legalizing adult use um, here in Connecticut on behalf of a group called the Marijuana Policy Project, which is a non-for-profit that does advocacy work um, on this issue. And uh, in the course of doing that advocacy work, I realized that all of the existing chamber of commerces in the state of Connecticut, um, none of them supported legalization efforts. And that was for a variety of different reasons. Um, some of them very well-intentioned, like, um, you know, they represent federal employers like Electric Boat, for instance, who have uh, logistical issues with employees and potential cannabis use um, and legalization. But um, most of the chambers were not supportive um, and didn't support uh, legalization here in Connecticut. And so um, and also the needs of this industry are very unique to it. And um, I think one of the um, sort of most striking uh, examples I can provide for your audience to understand about the unique challenges of this industry. Um, one of the biggest challenges is banking and finance. And you probably heard um, that it's really hard for these businesses to bank. Um, not all banks will um, do business with um, you know folks in the cannabis industry. Um, and uh, there's some some hurdles in terms of what the federal legislation provides for or doesn't provide for. Um, and then there are just some logistical challenges with banking and finance. And um, there's really no um, regulation over financing in this industry. So one of the things, one of the great problems that people have um, getting into this industry is access to capital. 
And it's uh, the most amazing thing I found out is I asked people who were experts in helping these types of businesses get access to capital. And I said, what's the you know craziest interest rate um, that you've come across? And um, this expert told me that um, he actually found it. It was on a publicly available document uh, in a 10K, which, as you know, is a, a document that you know publicly traded companies have to file. And uh, this particular business had taken out a loan and at a 60, 60% interest rate. Wow. You know, that was one of the things I was going to uh, yeah. ask you and talk about, because I remember yeah. even with medicinal marijuana, it was a cash only <clears throat> business, right? So a right. lot of banks would not do business with you. So people uh, who had uh, those businesses uh, had to put cash in safes and have security. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So I'm gathering from you that's not changed a lot, even with recreational marijuana, that the lending institutions and banks are not really that receptive. Yeah, and there, there's sort of two two issues. You know, some banks do are very receptive. So I'll give you an example in Connecticut of a bank that's doing business in this um, space, um, Essex Savings Bank um, in Essex, Connecticut. And so they're both um, serving as a bank for existing businesses um, and also helping on the financing end. Um, and they are sort of two separate issues: the financing and the access to capital, and then the actual banking. Um, some of the larger um, banks with more of a sort of global or federal footprint, um, shy away from banking um, with these with the industry because they fear that their federal charter in some way could be negatively impacted or they could get, um, e- even though there's no evidence of that happening. Interesting. Um, so you have yeah. these applicants who, who uh, as we know, or this week, uh, <laughs> 16 were approved uh, social equity um, applicants. And, uh, but you're saying it's still a challenge for them to get uh, a loan or a capital. So it's not that simple. I mean, there's obviously a lot of money to be made here, uh, yeah. but it's hard to get started, right? Yeah, it's really hard to get started. And thanks for bringing up the 16 that were just recognized. I'll briefly touch on that. So, um, so the, the step that was taken um, just uh, a couple days ago, um, just this week, um, by the Social Equity Council here in Connecticut was to approve 16 applicants um, to conduct cultivation um, businesses um, in those disproportionately impacted areas in, across our state. And so um, those folks, their next step is going to be getting their license through the Department of Consumer Protection um, and uh, putting together all the logistical things, like you said, getting money in place, getting financing in place, um, setting up, uh, identifying a property, getting construction underway. Um, So there's a lot of logistical hurdles that um, these businesses are going to be um, struggling with in the coming months. And uh, we hope to be a resource to those businesses. We've you know, one of the things we do at the chamber is we try to, um, you know, bring attention and provide education on things like construction process and site acquisition and zoning. Um, all of these can be really challenging um, things to contend with. And so we try to provide some resources and, and be helpful and convene people um, who are like minded and experienced in the industry. I want to focus on the sex, uh, the uh, social equity portion of this, and that is that you know it's somewhat unique to Connecticut. A lot of other states, the handful, I think it's about a dozen now, of uh, mm-hmm. states that have legalized marijuana, 
it's strictly commercial and you vie for a license. Uh, but the legislation that passed, there were some members of the General Assembly, Senator Gary Winfield and others, who really felt that we needed to do something to neighborhoods that have been ravaged by drugs and crime and many arrests and also, uh, you know, be uh, cognizant of the fact that people have spent years in, in prison, uh, you know, maybe um, for uh, marijuana possession. So talk to me about that, that, you know, how how someone can get involved in this and what what are the criteria to be a social equity applicant? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and thank you for that. So um, basically, the state put forth um a, ge- a geography um, that was based on, um, you know, based on census data and based on those areas that were most disproportionately impacted. And, and to participate as a social equity applicant, you have to have lived five of your last 10 years or nine of your first 18 years. Um, in one of those um, areas. And again, these are communities in cities like Bridgeport, Hartford, New Haven, um, Norwalk, Stamford, um, across our state. And um, your income had to be less than 300% of the median income for the last three years. Um, and um, that, you know, that was a, uh, I don't think there's any perfect system. Some people objected to that because um, folks who were from those areas but successful. For instance, um, more you know, doing very well from an income position weren't in a position to be a social equity applicant, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people were, and so this provided opportunity for hundreds of thousands of people in our state. And um, you know, the uh, the feedback and the amount of applicants we got for the lottery here in Connecticut was really pretty amazing, and uh, thousands of people applied. Um, I'm actually just double checking. I think it was uh, something like 23,000 wow. um, folks um, applied in the initial round um, of the lottery for licenses, and um, it's it's pretty impressive. So, um, uh, and many of those, I think, I think about half of those, I think about seven or eight thousand were uh, social equity applicants. Right. And I know those businesses pay taxes. I went up to Massachusetts before it became legal in Connecticut. And I think that this one business, which was right over the line in the Springfield area, had already paid that town. And it's obviously uh, based there. And I think Connecticut is also, I mean, a town has to vote, right, to decide whether they want that activity in their uh, town. Uh, but I think they had paid almost $800,000 and the year was not even over. So there's property tax money involved. There are jobs involved. So these are good for the economic dynamics uh, of, a, of a city, especially if it's distressed, right? Yeah, 100%. There's a, a portion of the retail tax as well that goes back to the city. But yeah, there are lots of different, there's a the property tax, um, there's uh, the sales tax, there's a lot of different, um, you know, ways that these um, communities will benefit. Um, and then there's, the, you know, for these first 16 successful applicants, um, they are each paying a fee um, into the state of Connecticut social equity fund of $3 million. And so that um, cumulative amount is $48 million that will now go into a fund to help some of these social equity applicants have access to capital in the future. One Um, of the things that I wanted to ask you about was that um, I know one of the criteria was that you have to, the 50% of the business has to be owned by a uh, social equity applicant, right? What about silent partners and such? Because I would imagine there are a lot of people who want to be in on this. Uh, Is that okay? As long as they're not 
the owner of 50% of that company. Yeah, and it's actually the the um, amount is actually higher. It's sixty five for this first round. It's sixty five percent of the business has to be um, owned and operated, um, owned and run um, by a um, social equity applicant. And this is, um, you know, in terms of exactly how that criteria was met, this is something that the social equity um, council debated, and um, uh, there isn't a hundred percent resolution on. But you know, there were, as you know, there were sixteen applicants that were awarded. And then there was um, another group of applicants um, that were not. So 41 um, different groups applied for this special cultivation retail license, uh, cultivation license rather. And out of those 41, 16 were approved. So the remainder were not approved. And um, the discussion at the Social Equity Council is some of those folks were not approved because um, they didn't feel like the um, ownership and management structure reflected that 65 um, percent threshold. And so um, we don't know all the details behind um, what went behind some of those decisions, um, but we know that there were, um, what, as they analyzed even that first bunch, um, they looked very closely at that as a criteria. And um, I'm sure, you know, you had to identify who your partners were and who your, um, you know, who was silent or otherwise are in the business. And so that was all a part of the analysis that they conducted. Right, because my gut reaction tells me that, you know, if someone uh, has all the right criteria, they're going to be people who will going to approach those people and say, look, you know, I can give you this, I can give you money, especially if that sure. applicant may not be able to get access to capital at a, at a bank or a lending institution, right? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I, you know, throughout the uh, course of this year, as we were uh, going around to events across the state, ran into lots of people who were looking to be that silent partner and looking to, you know, just be an investor. Um, so there's certainly a lot of folks out there like that. All right. So let's bring uh, let's bring people up to date. So the 16 applicants, it's not a done deal. It has to be approved by uh, the Department of Consumer Protection. They have to do things like background checks. Are there other things that they have to do? What does DCP have to do to approve those 16 applicants? Yeah, that's a great question. I know background check is a part of it. Um, I think they have to. Um, a part of it is also that three million dollar fee, which is, uh, as you know, no small amount of money. How um, much is the fee? Uh, $3 million. Wow. Um, and okay. so uh, as that license is issued, that $3 million um, payment has to be transacted. So um, they have to get the pay the $3 million. They've got to, you know, successfully clear a background check. Um, and, Where does that um, $3 million go? So that goes to, um, back to the Social Equity Council. And so that, um, again, those some of those funds um, are going to be used in the future for social equity applicants um, to have access to capital and sort of address that challenge we talked about earlier um, of, you know, not having access to capital. Which is and interesting, that was a theory. too, because yeah. a lot of people thought, um, you know, that this was a moneymaker by the state, right? Because a lot of other states are doing this and they're reaping yeah. in the tax benefits. Uh, but Connecticut is really not going to get rich off this Right. Well, there's retail taxes as well. So there's essentially okay. sales tax, right, off of each transaction. Every time you go to buy um, a product, um, that will be taxed. And I think the okay. state will um, achieve its benefit mainly through that retail sales tax. Um, and uh, the local municipalities, as you said, will get the benefit from the property taxes and the jobs 
and that magnifier. Um, and I think there are some of these funds that go through from the $3 million go to DCP and Social Equity Council to, to help them operate the program as well. Not um, into the yeah. infamous general fund? <laughs> right, exactly. No, these, these funds are for social equity purposes. Um, I think that the retail and sales taxes may go into the general fund. Right. Um, but yeah. I would be, and, be very surprised yeah. if lawmakers passed anything that didn't allow them to divert money into the general fund. Is that being cynical? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's happening now? So we're waiting for that. Uh, I think that you and I talked about maybe six months from now, uh, some of these growers could be up and running, right? Yeah, that's the goal. And, and um, you know, they'll, they'll be, uh, the goal is to have them up and running. And, uh, you know, simultaneously, while these, while these cultivators get up and running, they're, they're also having different other parts of their business like manufacturing and all that. So they're going to get all of those things lined up and operating and existing um, businesses who are in the medical marijuana trade um, are going to convert their businesses and open up as retail as well. So, um, so yeah, you should have a, a, hopefully a fully operational retail market that has both the supply side and um, the, the retail side ready to go um, in, you know, six months to a year. Uh, so the the uh, the growing part of it, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, and then uh, the retail part is that an extensive process too, or the growing part is really the one that's the most rigorous when it comes to background checks and criteria. I, I think the background checks and criteria apply to all of it, but um, there there are different opportunities. So, for instance, for the um, existing operators, they have the ability to expand and do these social equity partnerships as well and expand their business to retail, um, to adult use retail as well. And, um, but yes, every single social equity applicant and application will, will garner the same level of, of scrutiny um, and review by, um, you know, by the uh, accounting firm initially and then the Department of Consumer Protection. It's all very interesting, really. I mean, it's treated like a business, uh, like anything else. And I'm going to bring it back full circle. Never in my lifetime did I ever expect, and I think that goes for a lot of people, uh, to see marijuana being legalized and and sold. But uh, these are the times many other states uh, are doing it. And I guess Connecticut's approach is to try to do it as uh, responsibly and perhaps as, um, I don't know, socially uh, you know, to help those who have been disadvantaged or depressed areas that have been affected by drugs, right? Yeah, exactly, Susan. I, you know, it, it's not something I ever thought I would see either. But um, the way I look at it is, you know, today, you know, today, um, even though our, our recreational market isn't active right now, people are using marijuana illegally, and those people who are using marijuana illegally um, are using a product that's not regulated. Um, it has no health standards applied to it could be laced with fentanyl and other dangerous agents like that, subject to other things like mold and more common threats um, of that nature. Um, and these deals are happening. Um, they're not being banked. Um, there's illegal, you know, illicit market um, that's in place and it's dangerous. There's a public health concern. There's a public safety concern. Um, so I think what the state did is they stepped up and they said, this is happening anyway. Um, people in our state are getting this um, product anyway. Um, here we could bring meaningful health, public health, and uh, public safety regulation, and in addition, um, benefit to support that to the state, um, financial benefit and revenue. And so I think that's what you've seen happen, and, and uh, the state's taken a very responsible approach and tried to 
provide more opportunity on the social equity side as well. Adam Wood, we want to thank you for joining us on Real Talk, everything that uh, you know people want to know about the state's marijuana program. I think we've uh, addressed it here today, and I hope you'll come back uh, further on down the road. Uh, but I want to thank you for joining us on Real Talk. Susan, thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Take care. Have a great weekend. You too.